Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and good morning, maybe, and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-374. But who's really counting? Anyway, anymore, huh? This is the Endurance Sports Podcast, where we dole out such useful tips, such gems, such golden nuggets, like don't eat curry for lunch if you have a speed workout planned for the afternoon. And there's, you know, good thing there's a public restroom on the Esplanade where I where I run now. That was kind of like a scene from Alien yesterday. Oh, sorry. That was a little rough right out of the gates, wasn't it? Yeah. So the weather's finally turning colder now. We're getting some relief from the hot and humid days we've suffered through all summer. The leaves are doing their fall leaf thing. It's very pretty. I'm still in my office, in my home office. I'm sitting here on a Saturday, typing away on a new keyboard that arrived for my Microsoft Surface. I like this Surface. I've had it for, geez, at least three years now. I use it like a laptop, and it's got an excellent form factor for travel. It's classified as a tablet, so you can keep working. You can keep working during takeoff and landing. And it does everything I need it to do. But my uh, keyboard went wonky on me this week and started adding in extra letters into my sentences. It was uh, possessed. So I had to fix it. Today I have a chat with Jonathan, who at the time we had this conversation was training for a BQ attempt. And if I can manage it, I'm going to do this as the first of a three-part series. So he missed his goal at this first race that we're talking about by just a couple of minutes. So he's currently scheduled to try again in a couple weeks. And I think it would be interesting for you, for us, to see both the physical and the emotional arc of this whole process, where he misses the goal and then extends the cycle and doubles down and tries again. And he's got a great backstory. I don't think we get into it too deeply, but you should check out the links in the show notes. He's a physician and was a, you know, a pack-a-day smoker, 400-plus pound guy when he was a resident. And then he turned his health and his life around with endurance sports. That same, same formula we talk about so much. And I've also got a quick race report. 
in Section 1 about the main marathon that I ran since we last talked. In Section 2, I'm going to throw a pep talk at you (laughs) at using our endurance in our lives. So we'll see how that goes. Just a short pep talk. And today I'm going to throw in a couple of product reviews. The first one is some socks. Yeah, I'm a big believer in good athletic socks. And when you're you're going long, it's really important, you know, for like blisters and stuff. They help keep your feet healthy. But, you know, other than that, I can run in just about any athletic sock. I tend to like those short socks now, you know, the athlete, the short ankle socks. I got like 10 pairs of those from Asics when I ran the New York City Marathon for them. And uh, those have survived very well. I still have a bunch of them, which is great because I typically tear through the big toe after a few months in any kind of regular socks. And I still have most of these A6 socks. They're pretty tough. So today, though, a couple weeks ago, I got some socks from an outfit called Nice Laundry. Now, this is one of those, you know, send you a box of stuff every month, another one of those subscription service things. How many subscription services do we need? But anyhow, so there's nothing super special about the tech socks that they sent me. Good, tough tech material, reinforcing the heel and the toe. Good socks, right? By the way, I don't make any money off this, but if you're interested, there's a link in the show notes. There's... Something very special about the second pair that they sent me. Why? Because they're those 1980-style tube socks that are actually tech socks, running socks. And you can picture the socks that I'm talking about, can't you? Remember like Larry Bird style used to wear, right, in the 80s? Maybe, you know, eight inches up the calf, white socks with those two colored stripes at the top? Yeah, those so now, I can show up at the race with my fashion disaster short shorts and a pair of 1980s retro tube socks to race in. It totally completes my fashion disaster protocol. And if you've been paying attention, socks are the next big thing. Our overfinanced friends in Silicon Valley have decided that socks, they're the next accessory. And we've, we've, you know, we've done away with ties So you have to find something else to differentiate yourself from the fashion herd. So it's socks now. Socks as a service. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. The main marathon where scatterbrains meet racing. Sometimes I lose sight of the calendar. Especially when I'm working hard and focused on something, I don't lift my head up to look around and reset. My brain works well with approximations. That's why I get lost in the trails so often. I run by feel and visual cues more than discrete directions. And that's how my brain works. Late Sunday afternoon, after I logged my three-hour, 21-mile long run in the heat, Coach asked me a simple question. When's your target marathon? And I simply said, oh, it's not until October. And then I thought about it. I checked the calendar. This Sunday happened to be Sunday, September 26th. 
October was six days away, and so was my race. Oops. Coach scolded me. He said, that's why we put the races on the calendar in the system. Yeah, so much for that long taper that we old guys need to ease into these big races. Truth be told, I've gone into marathons with one-week tapers. I have even run marathons on successive weekends. In the old days, I would routinely run three marathons in a six-week period to qualify on the third try. But no taper is typically not conducive to a fast effort at my age. I could run a marathon every weekend, but I'm not going to be able to recover enough to race a marathon every weekend. So it was a bit of an oh-shit moment for both myself and the coach, but not something I was going to waste a lot of cycles worrying about. This was a target race for me in the sense that I like to have a marathon on the calendar to train for in the fall. Not that much was riding on it. I'm already qualified for my 20th Boston. I don't need a specific race time. I had signed up for the main marathon for a number of reasons, mostly because it fit the profile of the kind of races that I like. It's a smaller race and a pretty place, not too difficult, and within easy driving distance of my house. I don't have the bandwidth right now for a travel race, and the main marathon fit the bill as interesting enough at the right time on the calendar and low overhead. Taper be damned. Full speed ahead. Coach slammed me into a crash taper week with very little running and lots of stretching. I cheated a bit. I ran down Tremont Street from my office on Tuesday to meet Arnar for a baseline test so he could fit me up with that one of those time-wear smart garments. So that ended up being a two-mile jog in the heat over to his place and another two back. And the test itself was a treadmill test. You warm up for five minutes, then you increase the speed by increments all the way up to 10 miles an hour or six-minute miles. And then a 15-minute cool-down after that. Probably not the brightest thing to throw in what was basically a tempo run in the middle of a short taper week, but hey, in the grand scheme of things, I wasn't worried. The great news, the really good news, is that my friend and your friend Tim from Signal Mountain, Tennessee, was also running this race, and I think he's working his way through the 50 states. And his son, Michael, who I had met before, I think at the Galloway Half in Atlanta a couple years ago, had just moved into a house in South Portland, Maine, minutes from the start-finish. Tim invited me up to stay with them, and I decided to take them up on it because it would save me a drive in the morning. Was I in shape to run a marathon? Was I in shape to race a marathon? Was I resilient enough to race hard on zero taper? Well, I was, am, in pretty good shape. I've been training consistently now without injury for a couple years. My engine is good. My leg strength is good. My racing speed is questionable, but mostly because I just haven't been racing that much. The distance doesn't scare me. The question was, could I throw down a good solid time, maybe a qualifier on tired legs, run it smart? And the weather is always a wild card. It has been consistently hot and humid during my training cycle this summer into the fall. It's been relentlessly humid for my long runs. I don't like the heat. I don't like the humidity. 
I can handle it, but it's hard to extrapolate race performances from those training conditions. The difference between a hot, humid day and a cool day can be 20, 30 seconds a mile in a race performance. It can make a big difference in those high miles as to whether you can execute through the finish or you crap out and crash. Even with the heat and humidity, my long runs have been fairly competent, coming in around 8.30 pace. Some of them have been ugly, but overall I felt strong and I'm happy with that pace. I'm moving up an age group this year and I only need 8.23s to qualify. I've been training with my old running buddies, Frank and Brian, and they told me I look strong. The lesson here, kids, is show up and race. You can make all the excuses in the world, but you don't know what's going to happen on race day. Show up and race. So I got into Portland early enough to pick up my number and catch the tail end of the expo on Saturday afternoon. One less thing to worry about in the morning. It was actually a good-sized expo, considering the small size of this race. All the big shoe companies were there. After that, I made my way over to Michael's house, and he had just moved in, so his guest room, we had a laugh about this, his guest room was just an empty room with, you know, uh, a wooden, uh, hardwood floor. <laughs> so I knew this ahead of time, and I brought my air mattress and sleeping bag. So I have a system that I de- developed for camping at travel races. You just pump up that air mattress, you crawl into a sleeping bag, and use your gear bag for a pillow. Easy peasy. I'm a low-maintenance guy. So we went out and had some pizza and beer, and we hit the hay early. Tim was flying in on a few hours sleep. I was pretty tired too, and we all needed to crash. The race started at 7.45 a.m. I like an early start time. It's not like you're going to sleep in on race day anyhow. So we were able to get up, get ready, leave, you know, around 6 a.m., 10-minute drive, plenty of time, plenty of parking. I just love small races. Race day weather was spectacular for racing. It was great. 50 degrees at the start. Dry, sunny, not a cloud, very little wind. Perfect racing weather. I was jacked to race. And looking around in the corral, I could see that it was mostly half marathoners. And they were starting with us. So I thought that might cause some traffic. So I moved up a bit to get a clean start. And I couldn't see any pace groups, although there was rumored to be a 340 pacer. I like to race cold. I had on my Squanacook Racing singlet, my Arizona rock and roll hat, the black one, my Brooks baggy shorts, my old hokas, yes, those same hokas that I have run Boston in. I ran that 50K in. I ran Wapak in. (laughs) Sunglasses and a pair of light gloves. I figured I'd be warm enough as the sun came up and I could shed the gloves if I needed to. And I ended up wearing them the whole race. It was quite comfortable, not humid at all. And they did all the usual things that races do. And we set off with the cool weather and surrounded by half marathoners. I figured I might be going too fast. And then I looked at my watch at the first mile split and it was a 7.23. Damn. I had to back off and slow down to something nearer eights, or I'd never make 26 miles on my tired legs. So I tried to slow down. Second mile clocked in at 7.25. (laughs) So much for slowing down, and so it went. 
Every mile, I'd curse myself and try to settle down and just not be able to. The slower pace felt weird and unnatural, and it just felt easier mechanically to run the faster pace. And it wasn't until mile 8 that I managed to actually get a mile slower than 8-minute miles, and that was because of a long hill. So let's put this in perspective. Based on my first 8 miles, I was on track to run a 315 marathon. And I like to believe in miracles, but the last time I did that was probably 2005. The punchline here is that I basically ran tempo miles for the first 10 miles of the race for some odd reason, and the whole time I knew I was doing it, and I knew it wasn't sustainable, but I couldn't figure out how to slow down. I knew my legs were already tired, and if I kept this up, I'd have one of those nightmare finishes in the last 10K. So eventually, by mile 11, I just started walking. I started working in 20-second walk breaks to force myself off the pace. And I was able to walk enough to bring it in as a relatively soft landing and not trash myself. Um, Even with that, the 340 pace group didn't pass me until after 19 miles. That's how much I had in the bank. So this is a really raceable course. It was hillier than I thought, but not challenging. There were long, shallow ups and downs that might climb 75 or 100 feet or so, but take like a half a mile to do it. And it was very well supported, and the volunteers were truly happy to be there, and and an interesting, eclectic uh, group of of bands and music and stuff on the course. It was an out-and-back with an odd lollipop on the terminus. They ran you down a short dirt road and around a cone to make the distance work, which was a little odd, somewhere around the 12-mile mark. And there was another odd side detour through a neighborhood towards the end that wasn't super helpful either. But mostly it was a two-lane blacktop with wide shoulders and great road conditions. You got a great view of Casco Bay on the way out over the bridge. It was mostly forested, and I never really felt the sun except on the bridge crossings. There were always runners around me, even though the pack got a little bit light when the half marathoners turned around. Some of the relay exchanges were a bit tight and chaotic, but I never had any trouble navigating around them. And since it was uh, out and back, we got to see the leaders of both the half and the full go by. There was an early start option for the slower runners, and we passed a bunch of them along the way as well. It was a really pretty, friendly race and very accessible. If I had been recovered and had not gone out stupid, (laughs) too fast... I definitely could have at least qualified. I eased into the finish, ended up easing into the finish with a 347, which was fine. And I didn't destroy my legs. And so I've decided to take this training run and use it for the Bay State Marathon on the 22nd, which is a three-week gap. And that'll give me time to recover and taper. And if we get good weather, it should be a no-brainer. Frank and Brian are running it so they can reel me in in those first miles. There were... A lot of runners at the main marathon who had run the New Hampshire marathon the day before and were knocking off two states in one trip. It's a really pretty race, just the right size, very friendly. I'd recommend it if you need a main race or you just need a vacation. Portland is an old port city that has revitalized with plenty of good food and drink and culture. After the race, Tim and Michael and I wandered down to the to the restaurant row down in the old city and communed with cheeseburgers and fries and one good cold beer. Uh, 
There was a cruise ship parked in the port. They do that East Coast route up from New York to Quebec City, and they stop over in Portland. So, pretty city, good friendly race, time well spent with friends, all in all a good day, and I was home by dinner. And now for today's featured interview. Here we are, we're live, we're back on this beautiful uh, beautiful Labor Day. It actually is a beautiful day. We had that the remains of Hurricane Harvey roll through New England yesterday. It was pretty epic yesterday. I ran a, uh, a technical mountain race in the uh, pouring rain, about 50 degrees. <laughs> oh, oh. That's fine. <clears throat> and you had mentioned you I'll... like the rain, but, but 50 degrees is pretty cold for rain. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I know the course, so it wasn't a big deal for me. I think I might have been a little bit slower for the conditions, but I don't mind the cold. I'd, I'll take that any day over, uh, you know, 80 seven degrees in human, right? Um, but yeah, the, some of the footing was a little dicey with, you know, six inches of water rutted out of the trail at you. So anyhow, give us the, uh, give us the 200 words on who you are, what you do, why we're talking. Uh, sure. My name is Jonathan Lieberman. I've been doing long distance endurance stuff for probably about 20 years. Started with the uh, long, uh, biking. Um, I would, you know, try and, and, and make it a century. And, and then somehow that flipped to marathon running late nineties. I tried to do about a marathon a year. So in short, I've done maybe 15 marathons open and then that parlayed into doing Ironman. So I, I ended up doing five Ironmans, including Hawaii, <clears throat> which I wow. lottery in Kona. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and, and was there by lottery, not by speed, but still completed it in uh, about a little over 14 hours. And that changed my life as far as, you know, getting out of my own way and, and what I can do if I set my mind to something. And then yeah. uh, became the ultimate fun and never-ending quest of an endurance athlete of always trying to change things and improve and say, well, you know, what's holding me back? What if I do this? What if I do that? It wasn't until last year that I actually wanted to even try to get faster running marathons i was always just happy just to finish um i'm a pretty big dude fairly big i mean i'm 511 but i i range anywhere from about 195 to 215 pounds depending on what time of the year it is and if i'm training or not so yeah i always just kind of told myself that well i'm just too big to even think about being fast and then last fall i i wanted to try and go sub four so for me, that was a PR in a marathon is to go under four hours. I, don't, I had only done it once in my life. So I, I trained last fall, but it was sort of just random. I, I just I just ran. <laughs> it wasn't really wasn't really a lot of guidance. There wasn't really a lot of plan. I'd say, oh, I'm going to pick it up today, you know. And I would do these sort of accelerating negative split runs, but but that's really kind of it. I, I did increase the volume, but it was random. I was only running about three four days a week. And I was able to do sub four. I actually ran 354 in the fall. And so then I, I, I just took a look at the boss. I was like, let me just look and see what I would have to do to, 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 to actually qualify for Boston, you know. And I looked and I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, there's, there's no way. There's no way. My age, I, I, I had, uh, I'm 45. So I, I aged up into the new, the new time standard, which gave me an extra 10 minutes. But still, it was 325, and I'm like, there's, there's no way. There's just, there's no way I can even fathom. I figured out what the pace is for that. It's like 740-something, 749 or something. And I'm like, it's just, there's no way. 
my fastest runs ever now are in the nines, you know, or in the 855s. And I went on Amazon and I just <laughs> literally was searching for books on, you know, how to get faster, how to qualify, you know, about the Boston Marathon. And I came across your book. Well, a couple interesting things here. Um, one is that you get that great unsettled endurance lifestyle where you're always looking for that next thing, right? So how, how do you get yes, to the sir. next thing and what's the next thing going to be? And that's what keeps it real because, you know, you're never really going to win the Olympic qualifier. you got to figure out how to do something which is meaningful and challenging but doesn't get repetitive, you know? So after after doing the same thing a couple of times, even if it's like an Ironman, it's sort of like, well, you know, this is just like a lot of work, and I know I can do it, but what else is there, right? So yep. It's, yep. it's interesting how we have to stretch the boundaries of what we do to find, especially as you start to age up, right, to find uh, find things that are still compelling and still worthy and uh, and worthy enough that your head can be in it. Because if your head's not in it, it doesn't matter how much you train, right? Uh, that's right, exactly so. it. I, I, lo- I had lost the why. You know, I, I, I knew the what, and I, I thought I at least knew the how, even though I really didn't. But I, I definitely I was speaking to one of my um, old teammates, and I, and, and over a meal, I just told him, I was like, I kind of lost the why. I mean, I, I stopped doing triathlons about two years ago. I just, I didn't really want to. I, the why for that is because I actually hate swimming. So, and, and I wasn't really that much into biking anymore. And so I lost the why. I, I kind of just turned off a triathlons and went back to running and said, well, all right, maybe I can make my goal attainable of going under four hours. Then that became my why last year. But this, yeah. after reading your book, became my why this year. <laughs> yeah, and, so. and the other thing that is, um, is, is right here is that you're the perfect person for what I wrote this for because you already know how to run. You already know endurance sports. You know how to suffer. You know, be doing that triathlon training, you learn more about your body than anybody knows about their body, right? So yeah, you, you yeah. sort of can you're you're in the spot where you could lay that uh, that volume and that speed on and be smart enough to survive it, right? And and understand what it's doing, the transformation. That yeah, was so the hope. You're, you're, that that, that yeah, was you, the hope. <laughs> yeah, you were you were the perfect person. A little old though, a little old for uh, for this plan. Oh, yeah. I, I don't oh, know if me, I... I read your I read your caveats, man. I loved it. I, I think you said if you're over the the one that the part of your book that said this is not for you if you know, and you had your bullet points, yeah. and I think it was I think you suggested over thirty five, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> I can keep that. Well, at least over forty, you know. It's just the yeah. um, that speed work is rough on your. Um, on your joints and stuff, right, and on your tendons. So it's really, uh, it, it, but but it is, it is. I, I've been fortunate, so I, I address that, knowing exactly and trusting what you said, and saying that I might not be able to do this. And actually, I did try. I kind of had a false start with this over the winter, if you remember, because um, right around the time I started doing it, I came across your Facebook group. So that's when I started kind of interacting there with you folks, and and um, which is also great. But uh, <clears throat> I started doing it over the winter. And the combination of, uh, I'm down at the shore, so I, I was just doing, I, I was not at a track at that time. I was only doing work out on the boardwalk, which is great, except for when there's 50-mile winds and it's, you know, a wind chill of like negative 10. And I told myself, well, just suck it up, you know, and just, and just do it. But it, it just got to a point, I think it was right around February, where I had a combination of I pulled my calf and I just broke mentally. I just said, I, I can't do this, not ready for it. And so I stopped running. Um, for basically February and March. And the marathon I was going to try for was April. So if you remember, I kind of fell off the map a little bit. 
And I was, I was actually going to just bag the whole season. I was just going to say, forget it. This was silly. You, you know, just buy a book and qualify for the Boston Marathon. You know, what are you thinking? You know, it's still a pipe dream. You're not ready for it, blah, blah, blah. All the sort of negative self-talk that everybody has to at least endure. But I, after uh, I had a talk with my best friend, and, and I, I made the decision to, instead of bagging everything all together, I changed my April marathon to a half. It was the, the, the New Jersey marathon. I was supposed to do it, and that's where I was going to qualify for your plan. If you look even at the grid that I sent you, that's the date that I had on there, but then I ended up crossing it off later. I changed that to a yeah. half marathon. So instead of just not showing up and you know packing up my toes and going home, I, I said, all right, I'm going I'm to at least show up on that day. I'll do a half marathon, and I'm not going to give up on this season. Let me try and find another race. And I went back to your plan. I read your book, you know, I've read your book several times, uh, became kind of a playbook for the last, you know, six months of my life, literally every day. And uh, I found a race that I think is going to be uh, as good as it gets. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a last chance attempt for this year, for next year for Boston. It's, it, the race is on uh, is this Sunday on the 10th. Yeah. <clears throat> so I know registration opens up right after that. It appears to be, first of all, it's commutable. Like It's only about an hour and 40 minutes from where I live. Um, yeah. It's the, the Via Marathon in Allentown. It, it seems it's supposed to be a fast Boston qualifier. Um, net downhill, shaded. I think Bart Yasso designed it. I'm not sure about all that stuff, but it at least gave me another chance for this season. And I said, all right, I'm going to put this on the map. I booked a hotel room, and I said, I'm going to, you know, this is back in now April. I said, I'm going to show up, do this half marathon, get back on the horse, and start. I worked backwards from the race date and used your plan and, and plugged in the date, and it said, okay, June 5th is when I start. And so that brought us to this summer. Yeah, so so a couple things. That The boardwalk is a great place to run because it's flat, but like you said, there's always an ocean breeze. And, and the, I found the boards to be weird. Like some of them are loose and some of them are springy. So when you're, when you're trying to tow off on the boardwalk, it, you get the weird response sometimes where you plant the foot and the board will be like a spring or it'll be soft. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what yeah, was more uh, disturbing to me was uh, the, the people. <laughs> it just became an obstacle an obstacle course of people looking down at their cell phones on the boardwalk or selfie sticks. God, I can't tell how many selfie sticks I got assaulted by this season. It just, it just, <laughs> beca- it was, it became torture. So much energy running around families of seven, you, you know, I, and I finally just, you know, I, a lot of things in your book, I was like, yeah, well, but you know, I can do it this way. And that was the thing is though, that that's kind of a story of my life is I always, would, would say, well, you know, this part maybe isn't applicable to me, and maybe I don't need to do it this way. But I finally just had a little honest moment of honesty, and, and, and right around when I started again in June and started having all the problem with the tourists on the boardwalk, and I said, well, maybe the, I mean, the guy qualified for, for Boston, what, 14 times using his plan? Like, he's saying find a track. How hard can it be to find a track? <laughs> like, how hard can it be? And I was intimidated. I mean, the reason I didn't was because I was intimidated. I'd never been on a track in my life. Track is for fast people, you know, and I, I – I, I'm like, I'm not that person, so I didn't go. But right around, uh, I guess, week five, I think right around week five is when I found a track. And not only did I find a track, but I found people on the track. And that was an unanticipated benefit that I, I never counted on and I never realized the power 
because here I am, again, this kind of big guy out there, and I started doing these, you know, basically it, it turned out to be a quarter-mile track, so it was actually, a, you know, mile, mile sprints we're doing. And there's a bunch of folks there. There's a local master's track group practicing there that happened to be there the same time that I went on a Tuesday night a month and a half ago. And since then, every Tuesday night, we've met at 6 o'clock. And, you know, they ask me what I'm doing. You know, I, I ask about what they're doing and how they're doing. I tell them that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I said, I try, I'm, I'm being coached by somebody who wrote a book who knows what he's doing, I said. But I, I said, I'm admittedly a novice to the speed work, and, and I've learned a ton from them. And just the camaraderie, they would, they would even pace me um, for yeah. legs, various legs of the splits. Like, it, it just became this amazing thing, and it never would have happened if I didn't get my ass out of the door and actually go to the track and do something different. Oh, that's great. You found some, some folks who were running down there. Usually all yeah. I find is uh, old people walking, you know. So, the, uh, so I, I remember correctly, before you started, though, we did some, I fielded some questions from you about how to get ready to start, like like how to how to warm up for, you know, starting, right, in, in the month leading up to June. Do I remember that correctly? Um, I'm not sure if it was warming up. Um, for it, uh, I had some questions about uh, the logistics of your plan. Um, two of my specific questions, which I read over and over again before I asked them to you, because I was trying to, to get my mind around these. There were specifically two things that I couldn't get my mind around. Well, actually, three. One is running every day or almost every day because uh, I'd never done that before, and I always. I, I explained that away in my mind by saying, well, they're junk miles. They're not recovery miles. They're, you're not resting. If you're not resting, then you're, you're not resting, you know, and there's folks that do believe that. But, but I had never done that before, and so that was a leap of faith for me to say, okay, I'm going to commit to these recovery runs as prescribed by the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. And the other, I had issues with, with running them too fast originally, too, I, because I would just right. go out and run. And right. I was afraid to run them slow. I was afraid to run them by feel. So we talked about, you know, uh, about having faith in, in what they're intended to do, why they're there, and how to execute them. And then as far as the splits were concerned for the speed, you know, for, the, for Tuesdays and Thursdays, I had some concerns going up that I just wasn't as fast as I needed to be at, at first and uh, that I struggled. Um, yeah. And you can actually right. see. Yeah, that's, that's that what grid. I remember. Yeah, you're, you're off yeah. your splits on some. Yeah, the tempos I was I was I was fairly on with the tempos. I could hit that range fairly easily, but the speed for me, and I think part of that is just I was <clears throat> I've been overzealous in planning this. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, and only in that I really wanted to be smart. <clears throat> I didn't want it. I, I need a 325. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going up. I'm doing this specifically because I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon, but specifically because I want to run the Boston Marathon. Some people are, are, are cool with just qualifying for it, and that, and I certainly would be, you know, happy with that because that's fast. But I want to actually have the experience of earning a spot there and running it in April, which is right around my birthday. I realized after doing research that even though my age qualifying standard is, is a three twenty five, I need faster than that. Yeah, um, yeah, you want to. Th- that's one thing your book didn't address, but only likely because it's only the most recent years that that started to happen because of the demand and. And speed and everything. And so I finally realized that, okay, well, I need faster than a 325. And uh, I, I think statistically I've need, you need over like a two-minute and eight-second buffer to, to beat it. And I said, you know what? Screw this. I'm taking any chances. So I 
I used your plan. I said, I'm going to pretend I need a 320. I'm yep. going no, to that's, look at. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good recommendation. Anyhow, is plan five minutes ahead. Cause then, cause you never know what's going to happen on race, race day. There's all right. kinds of variability. So I remember yep. you struggling with the speed going in. And I think I, we talked about, you know, you can shorten it up for the first couple sessions till your body figures it out. Right. Because it's really an alien form. If you've never done speed work before, real speed work before, that's a totally alien thing, and your body has to figure out what those mechanics are, right? And your brain has to figure it out, too. Your brain, you have to rewire your brain to say, this really hurts. My heart rate is hammering <laughs> out of my chest. I can't get my breath. How do I relax, right? It's relaxing into that effort and that form, and that takes a while to figure out, right? It, it does. I, I am still figuring out. <laughs> but But... But it has gotten easier, and I have literally felt the needle move over the middle weeks of this plan, and that's something that I've never experienced. I've never experienced feeling more fit. You know, the numbers uh, might have, you know, might reflect different things. I mean, I I ran a sub-four marathon last year. I was happy with that because it was my fastest ever. But comparatively speaking, I never actually felt faster. I never felt, I, I never felt like, like I, I drive a stick shift. Like I never actually felt that I could, like your book described, run in, in basically very, various gears, you know, and, and like you said, you can close your eyes and, and pace yourself at eight minutes or whatever effortlessly. You don't need a GPS watch or to tell you because you feel it. And I had never been there. I, I might be thinking I'm doing great, you know, um, and I'll look down and, and, you know, my heart rate would be off the chart or my pace would be way off than my, you know, rate of perceived effort kind of thing. And until this, the middle of this plan, things just started to click. Like, I, I first of all, the track, I mean, you were right. The, the track makes that a lot more easier and not easier as in, not easy as in not painful, but easy as in not complex. <laughs> it makes it a, a simple as in not complex. You, it's, you always need a timer and you pass the same point on the, the track each time and you look down and you say, okay, I'm a second down or I'm a second up. It's much easier to adjust then. And so once I started doing that, that really helped dial stuff in. In, in the beginning, I, I know you did recommend I shorten my efforts. My stupid pride wouldn't let me. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't actually shorten anything. I kind of slogged through them and I just told myself, well, next week will be better. You know, so, yeah, um, yeah, so for example, yeah. if my goal, if I needed to hit a, a 632 uh, for speeds, and I, you know, could only hit a set. The first week I did it, I'm looking right at it. June 6, I my times were 650 and 651. So I mean, that's almost 20 yeah. to 30 seconds slower than I should have been. And I, I was like, oh god, I shouldn't even be here. What am I doing? But I just said, well, tomorrow's another day. Let's just see. Let's just see. Basically, this plan, I told myself, I'm gonna, and and as I sent to that picture, I, I crossed off every grid on this chart. Uh, every single one. And I, I just told myself, no matter what happens, barring a huge injury, I don't care what the weather is. I don't care what's going on in life. I don't care about anything. Not that I don't care about anything else, but nothing is going to stop me from executing this plan 100%. And I'm just going to see what happens. As you said, there's no guarantee for what happens on Sunday or any any day. But I know that if I don't do the work, then I'm guaranteed not to get the not to get the results. So at least... This way, I yeah. committed to your plan 100%. I did every single workout as best I could as prescribed. And, you know, we're going to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So how do you how do you feel about this race going in? I mean, 
that's a big chunk of time you got to take from a from a 354 to a to a 320 you know that's yep. 34 minutes that's a big chunk of time right yes um, sir yep. i'll routinely see people take 20 minutes off their finishing time you know if they've never done speed work before but um but that's a big chunk of time so you know you got to be you got to be careful um in the beginning uh, I'm giving you advice you didn't ask for, um, and, uh, oh, and let the race come. Let the race come to you, because you're going to be really jacked up in the start. <laughs> but I think that's a small enough race that you should be able to break free early. Um, yeah, which helps. Yeah, which I helps because there's only you thing get two thousand people do. It. I like using uh, the pace bands. You know, I, I and there's various sites on, online that you can just make your own, and, and um, I like using those not as a rule. But just as some sort of guidance, and especially when the math gets fuzzy later on. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I like using those, and, and I, I've sort of set one that there's actually a site that lets you make them for each race. They supposedly take the race topography into it into account. I, I don't have so much faith in that, but but it, it's more just it will it, that site allows you to make it so you can actually have like a conservative start. Uh, and then, you know, a negative or a positive split at the end, you know, depending on what you feel you want to do. But I, I, I need to be careful. As far as how I feel about it, I actually feel like I'm ready to rip the face off it, which, again, is, you know, speaks to the fact that I do need to be careful in the beginning of the race. I think the biggest mental hurdle for me will be and, and has been, and this is the burning question that I had for you all along, which was, <laughs> you know, the plan – the, the, the plan has for, you know, I'm doing extremely slow recovery runs. I'm doing, you know, moderately fast long runs at exactly a minute to a minute and a half slower than, you know, than my marathon pace. I'm doing insane speed work at, you know, six and a half and seven minute miles for speed and tempo. So those are clear. But my burning question the whole time was, how am I going to fall into a, a 737 pace on race day if I've never actually run it? And, yeah. um, you know, and, and the responses were that, you know, physiologically, it's going to feel slow. I'll, I'll be able to get on it and it should be okay. And I understand all that academically, but I did, ha- I, you know, after we talked, I, I, I took one of your suggestions was to, to possibly do a fast finish long run. And I, I, I took the last four miles of one of my runs last week or two weeks ago. <clears throat> and I did it at, at race pace, like basically at 735, 737. And the first thing I yeah. noticed was how fast the scenery was flying by. <laughs> I've never, because again, it's, you know, I'm down at the shore, it's all straight. And so I'm just running down the road. And I was like, this is crazy. It felt like work, but not unbearable work. And I looked down at my heart rate and it was in like the high 140s. It wasn't bad for me. And I was all right with it. I wasn't suffering. But you were also at the end of uh, a hard week. Uh, yeah, hard and, cycle, hard week. Yeah, yeah, you're end of a hard cycle, so you, that's probably, you know, a twenty to forty percent anchor on your performance right there. Coming out of the taper, you're going to get that back. So when you go into those first miles, you know, it's you're going to have to hold back. It's going to feel too easy, and and you want to really conserve your energy and stay in your head because when it feels easy like that, you go, oh, this is great. I'm just going to run. Or you get excited, you know, and you start burning mental energy and physical energy. You really want to stay inside your head and just okay. be like a machine. Be like a machine on those paces. And don't look at your watch all the time. Just look at them at the mile marks. And you'll find you're ahead. You're going to be ahead, right? And don't let yourself get more than, you know, a minute or a couple minutes ahead at any point because that's too fast. 
Okay. And if you're behind, if you're behind by a minute, don't try to make it all up in the first, you know, in the next quarter mile. Ease into it. It's a long <laughs> race. You, you know, you, in a marathon, you can make up so much time, um, and you can lose a lot of time, right? Because think of the average. When you get up into the, you know, 18 miles, you've got that average is working in your favor. As soon as you get past the half marathon mark, the average is working in your favor, right? You really got to mm. bonk just the math. You really got to bonk to lose that lose that time so when you get to the end you're going to be in a position probably where you can run a couple of 830s and still get your time right because of hmm. you know you'll you'll just have naturally banked a little bit because no nobody ever wants to run right on pace everybody's always running think think of it in terms of five seconds faster or three seconds faster you're going to bank a couple of minutes right right um the other the other place where you'll be tempted to sort of lose focus is right around the half marathon mark. You know, somewhere in that 10 to 13, 10 to 14, because you'll start to relax and you go, oh, this is easy, right? And you'll forget that you're racing. So it's really it's really maintaining that focus across the whole course. So not letting the focus off the race. Because you, you get, you know, what I found was I get to like 11 miles and go, oh, I feel great today. I'm going to throw in some fast miles, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. Because you really, hmm. the, the shoe can drop at any point after, you know, in the shape you're in, it won't happen until after 18 or 20. But the shoe can drop, and that's when the race starts. And this is, um, I'm, I'm hoping to get to mile 20, you know, ready to show up, ready to just to just execute that last hour and just just get done what needs to be done, regardless of how it feels. Yeah, but remember, you know. you're trying to qualify. You're looking for a specific time, right? So you don't lose focus until you get a mile left, because that shoe can oh, drop no, at no, any time. Oh no, I'm not time. suggesting I've I'm seen... going to go faster. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting I'm going to go for a world record and go faster. No, no, it's the opposite. I, no, no, you may I, actually leave a couple minutes on the course. Is what I'm saying. You'll get to the end and say, "Well, I could have gone faster," but that's okay, because oh, that's that, totally you fine. know that was your goal, <laughs> right? That was your goal. That, that is. Exactly. That is totally fine. Uh, I think you asked how am I fueling. Um, that's the other thing that I took extremely seriously, um, basically for the last year. I've had various dietary issues over the years, and, and everyone has their own medical profile. I have uh, a history of diabetes in my family, and, and uh, it turns out that uh, over a year ago, I, my hemoglobin A1C was elevated, so I was pre-diabetic. And I said, huh, well, it's funny, because for the last 30 years, I've been believing all of the carb crap, you know, and the, the low-fat, high-carb stuff, and and so that's really how I lived. I mean, I lived off of tons of breads and grains and everything. And, and I'm not going to, you know, I won't um, go off on dietary tangent right now. But basically, just because of medical reasons, I wanted to eliminate that. And I was unsure if that was possible in an athlete's diet. And I know there's extremes. There's ketogenic and there's this and there's that. And I didn't want to necessarily commit to anything 100%. But basically, in answer to your question, this year, uh, and, and your book, you know, did have a lot to do with that as far as just eating clean. Eating clean to me meant uh, a lot of fruits and vegetables, mostly vegetables. I, I also was a fan of the smoothie, as you are. Uh, I haven't had, I haven't really had them in the last couple months, but I, I used to constantly um, make uh, smoothies. And just trying to get off of the processed carb crap was basically yeah. uh, it. Now, as far as fueling for the actual races, I have not gotten away from doing that. So I still carry, um, I carry a bottle. I've always carried a bottle. It's funny because your book talked about how you did that too. And, and um, I always carry a bottle in my right hand. 
and it's a dilute mixture of it. Now I'm using scratch labs, but it's, it's basically just a dilute electrolyte mixture of your choice. On race day, it's actually a concentrated mixture because for, for the Ironmans, I used to double and triple concentrate it. So I could just take one tiny sip of it and then mix it with the water at the aid stations and, and I'm ready to go. I was a big fan of, of liquid fueling during these long yeah. races, not anything solid. I also used the, 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 the uh, cliff shots the, 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 or cliff blocks, cliff blocks. Yeah. So yeah, I, sure. used, I used these, these blocks and I just kind of, they're like big gummy bears and I just kind of suck one in every couple of miles as needed. I definitely heeded your advice in the book about, you know, and, and about the people who tape, you know, 20 gel packs to their bike frame and, you know, or, or they're carrying them all and they're going on a assault on Everest. You know, I, I definitely uh, heeded that advice as well. And, and I, I almost just carry it. I, I try and stay on top of it. I, I'm a big fan of drinking before you're thirsty and, and eating before you're hungry, but I've been really trying not to overdo it. So um, how do your legs feel this week when you're walking around? Do you feel like... Uh... I got to be honest. Today I feel... <laughs> my legs feel completely shattered today. Okay. I, I did an easy, easy 10-mile run yesterday. And even at the end, I was like, huh, left knee's aching a little bit, you know. And it's not a real injury. There's no, you know, it, it's just, you know, getting out of bed in the morning has been. And this is, honestly, this is the 45-year-old component of your plan that it was only designed for less than 35 years old. You know, this is the cumulative effect of it. I'm fully aware of that. So but do some stretching, do uh, some do some. You know, maybe yeah. put some heat on that or take a whatever kind of bath you like to take. Yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, to, um, you know, just I'm not changing anything. There's nothing to change. The taper is built into the plan that you wrote, and, and, I, and I'm happy with it. You know, like I said, I mean, every single block on your grid I've checked off, all the recovery runs, all the rest days, everything, all the work, all the speed work, all the distance work. I'm really excited to test it. And like I said, man, like, like I may not be able to do it. I mean, I believe I can, and I know that my body, I know I've done the work. But as you said, that's not a prescription. It's not a guarantee for success. It's a guarantee that you earn the right to try. And that yeah. in and of itself is something I've never done. So yeah. I've already, in my mind, I've already won. You know what I mean? Like in my mind, I've already I committed to a plan. I executed this plan 100%. And that is actually something that I've never done. It was always easier to give excuses or it was always easier to not give my best because if of the fear that, well, if my best isn't good enough and I, if I can't do what I want to do, but then what does that say about me? Then I'm a failure, you know, and, and I kind of changed that all around. You're, the way you wrote your book really spoke to me because, I mean, I'm a doctor too. I've, I've read tons of medical textbooks and very sort of, dry, boring, you know, but accurate material. The way you wrote your book spoke to me because you're like, look, I'm not an expert. I'm not even telling you that I'm right in everything. I'm just telling you that this worked for me and it worked for me 14 times. And I boiled it all down over 20 years into this book and here it is. So, you know, yeah, take, take it for what it's worth, you know, take, take it with a grain of salt, whatever, but but this worked for me and I want to share it with you. And the way you wrote your book, even just with the, your logic and your humor and everything, like it spoke to me so much that I actually felt that I had a chance to do this. So that mattered, man. Like your book matters, you know? Well, good. Um, I'm happy. I want to thank I'm you I'm happy for, for you. I'm happy for you. That's good. Thank you very much for that. Um, but here's what we're going to do, though. We're going to do the before and after on this, right? So this is the before, 
yep. and then uh, you'll you'll get to tell uh, you know. <laughs> I'll give one you the of a couple interview stories. from the ICU, and we'll see how it went. Yeah, what of a couple of stories <laughs> could be a really good story. Have you? Um, do you have? You have just the one race. This is an all or nothing, right? So if uh, you guys get the hurricane or anything like that, you're kind of screwed, right? Well, uh, as far as qualifying for 18, yeah, because um, yeah. this is this is really it. Um, but but again, I'm 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 not in a rush. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not yeah, going so, anywhere. And yeah, if something goes wrong, like that that. That poor other guy we were talking with on the Facebook yeah. group, who his <laughs> his race got canceled on him, his target race, and then something else happened. Oh, they measured the race wrong on his second one, like yeah. it was is invalidated his uh, qualification attempt because they measured the course wrong or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, um, stuff happens. I mean, this race itself, they had a train cut the course last year, and yeah. they've done this race before, so it was no surprise that this was going to be an issue, and they always had a handle on it. But for some reason, last year, they released the train during the race, and it's a freight train that was going very slow. And you can see the videos yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. There's people, runners, literally standing around for, I think it was eight minutes. You talk yeah. about destroying your spirits, you know? So yeah. stuff happens. <laughs> There's no guarantees. But I'm, the only guarantee is I'm, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to try and be smart about it, like you said. Like, everyone who I've met has, has given me advice, and... And, you know, because they look at the times. The other thing I want to say is, you know, I, I do use the power of social media, if anything, just to keep myself motivated. And, and it's always good to keep in touch with people and, you know, congratulate them on what they're doing and vice versa. And the one thing people have said is, how the heck have you gotten this fast? This fast. <laughs> Meaning, you know, this rapidly. And I, I, you know, I just tell them, I, I point them to your book, you know, and I just say the work is in there. You know, this is what I've done. And these are the times that are that are there and, and the efforts. I mean, the, the times are really the same, as you know. It's just the perceived effort gets better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and obviously it's no 100% success story yet because I haven't attempted the, the race yet. But uh, as far no, as I'm concerned, won. it's a You already story. won. Like, like you said, yeah. you already won. And if you, you know, if something goes wrong in this race, you can either reschedule for, you know, three, four weeks out and do it again. Because you got the fitness, or you know, you can go run a 10k someplace instead of PR, right? So yeah. So uh, I mean, my, my I, I burning move. question right now is, for the first time ever, I don't want to lose my fitness over the winter. <laughs> I usually cycle, um, you know, and and so you know, we'll deal with that later. But uh, you know, I'm so excited about where I'm at that I, I don't, and I know I can't train at this level all year. But at yeah, the same time, can. like I don't. I, I don't want to sit at the, on the couch all winter, which is essentially what what has happened in the past because I've let it. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it later. But you really can't sure. hold this. This is a pinnacle, right? This is a fine point, and you really can't hold it for more than a you know a couple months because um, you just can't sustain that effort, right? Your body just can't do that. You get you get mm-hmm. fatigued and overtrained in a hurry. So well, you got to you got to. <laughs> well, you got to do a cycle, right? That doesn't mean the next peak yeah. can't be higher, right? But you got to do a cycle. So you got to cycle down into something else, maybe into your cycling or your weightlifting or whatever, right? So that it's complementary. And then you, next time you cycle up for Boston in April, you'll do another cycle and you'll, your peak will be higher, gotcha. right? But if you just try to sustain that peak, it's just going to tail off over time. You get diminishing returns. Gotcha. All right, I got to move you to the exit. We'll let you go. Thank good you, luck. Sir, for everything. I appreciate it. Yeah, good luck. We'll talk again when you're done. Like I said, take notes. Absolutely, man. Learn Thanks something. again. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
<laughs> yes, sir. All right. Cheers. Good luck. All right. Take care. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Stop complaining. We're endurance athletes. Why are you complaining? I catch myself. I'll be stuck in traffic or I'll drop something or some other little thing will set me off and I'll start feeling angry or sorry for myself. And then I think about the big picture. I think about how lucky I am. And I muddle through with a smile on my face. And that's my basic racing and training strategy these days as well. Muddle through with a smile on your face. I've lost that hard edge passion of those first training cycles and racing triumphs. I take a more measured approach to my racing, to my life now. It's okay. Smile. Muddle. And I hear other people complain. They complain about races. They complain about hotel rooms and travel inconveniences. And frankly, I don't get it. We've got it pretty good. We're not rolling in the mud dying of cholera like our ancestors. I don't know about you, but I've got a place to live and people to love. I've got the use of my body and the use of my mind in a fairly satisfying way. Smile. Muddle. I'm also learning that we have most of what we need inside us. I don't need a Starbucks every day. I don't need a new pair of shoes every two weeks. I don't need anything, really. I can make my own coffee. I can run on old shoes. It's okay. We sort of set ourselves up to fail, right? Why are our expectations that everything is going to be perfect and every day is we're going to be thrilled with every little thing in our lives? Then that just gives us license to complain when it isn't and when we aren't. Isn't that sort of a self-constructed problem, my friends? I mean, I've slept in many awful Truly awful hotel rooms. I've slept on the floors of airports. And I've slept in my tent on my air mattress and raced 100 miles the next day. Why not? Some of my best adventure stories come out of those experiences. I could convince myself that a man my age couldn't possibly get a good night's sleep on an air mattress with his gear bag stuffed under his head. I could easily convince myself of that. Instead, I look at it differently. I look at it as a challenge or an adventure. I smile at it. I muddle through. Maybe sometimes my back is a little sore from that air mattress, but I've already won that battle because of my attitude. Why do we work so hard to build these sandcastles of expectation and then tear ourselves down when we don't get there? Why not just decide to be happy no matter what? Wouldn't that be easier? It cuts out the middleman. It's quite efficient. You can't hide from bad days or bad moments or bad situations. I mean, you can't live in a hole. But you can decide to react differently. Some of the pundits call it reacting with love. I just think of it as getting over myself and taking a deep breath and laughing. I mean, stress is good for you most of the time. It allows you to grow. It forces you out of your comfort zone. It gives you the opportunity to practice dealing with difficult situations and having difficult conversations, and that makes you stronger. The key is to realize it when you're in the moment. Notice that, hey, I'm in a bad situation. What am I going to do? How am I going to react? 
And that's what I love about races and hard workouts. They have that built-in performance stress and anxiety, that moment when you have to decide. And you can mindfully convert that stress to excitement, to power, and use it to your advantage. Just say to yourself, I'm not stressed. I'm excited. I find mindset to be most helpful when I've just got too many things hitting me that I'm not equipped to handle. Some people would call this overwhelm, but I don't use that word. I just realize that I take a deep breath, I smile, and I keep moving. I may not be able to handle all of the flaming arrows, but I can handle some of them. And eventually, if I keep moving and keep smiling, I'll get through and out the other side to the next brace of flaming arrows. And people have a tendency to get to that point of overwhelm and just stop. They get a form of buffer overload from too much stuff, too many things. But if you freeze, you're dead. The trick is to smile and muddle through. And you might think, oh my God, I'm not the right person for this. But you're as good as anyone else. And probably better than most because you're here now in the arena. So fight on, muddle through. It's your turn. Make the best of it. Turn that stress into excitement and energy. You're an endurance athlete. That's what we do. We endure. And when we endure, there are only a few of us standing at the end of the day. And the last one standing, they win by default. So I'm going to challenge you sometime this week, maybe today. You'll be juggling more than you should, more than you can, more than you think you can, and you'll drop something, maybe something important. And then the windows will fly open and you will be attacked by raging demons of external events. When this happens, I want you to lean back and smile. Take a breath. Take those demons on one at a time until they give up. I want you to smile and muddle through. And let me know how that works out for you. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, you have run very quickly to the end of episode 4-374 of the Run Run Live podcast. Let's go for a little cool down, maybe stretch a bit, shall we? All right. After the main marathon, I decided myself to double down. And I'm going to run the Bay State Marathon in a couple of weeks. The Bay State's an old friend of mine. It's a flattish course designed for qualifying. And I've qualified there twice. I know the course. My buddies Frank and Brian are running, so hopefully we can pace each other and I won't do that uh, that bottle rocket thing that I usually do. Based on the main marathon, I'm in good enough shape to run a fast race on the right day, so I'm very comfortable, pretty excited about this. And I'll recover fine because I didn't trash myself. I'm going to run the Groton Town Forest 10-miler tomorrow as a workout. And I'll go out easy for the first three miles and then I'll race it in. Should be fun. It's a difficult course, one of my favorites. It's one of my club events. So I do love support my running club, as we all should. Support your local running club. That's some good advice. I've almost adjusted to my new work schedule going into the city for work. And the most challenging part has been burning in new habits, right? The logistics of it. I take the train in in the morning, most mornings with Teresa. And most mornings, I'll just wear my workout stuff, you know, roll out of bed, grab my stuff with Teresa, 
and then go do my workout early and then shower up for work. The logistical challenge is remembering to bring everything you need for the whole day and all the activities, right? So you got to grab your lunch, you got to grab your work clothes, got to have your workout stuff. And and you got to do this, you got to organize all this either at night before you go to bed or in the morning before you head in. And those are both times when your brain doesn't work real well. So you need habits. So far, I have forgotten uh, to bring a belt one day, my office keys another day, my car keys another day, my wallet and my shaving stuff on one day. Uh, so different days this month, different crises, but no big deal. I just worked around it. One day this week, I was throwing my workout stuff into my backpack. By the way, I found a great use for that backpack that ASICS gave me at New York. And I grabbed what I thought were my hokas, but they ended up being a six-year-old pair of Brooks launch that had been retired to lawn mowing long ago. And I had an easy run on the schedule, so I just wore the old shoes. I mean, I ran a few hundred miles in those shoes at some point, so I should be able to jog around the city for an hour in them, right? See? Smile and muddle through. It all works out. I'll give you a quick update of my friend Buddy the Wonder Dog. He's sitting on the front steps right now, looking out at the lawn, looking out at the rainy day. He's doing okay. He's shrinking, literally shrinking. He gets smaller every day. And he appreciates the colder weather. He doesn't like the hot weather, but he, but he can't run much anymore. His back end bothers him, and he's slow getting up and getting down. Just like me, he doesn't know he's old, sleeps all day, gets bored. He's happy, but that's built into his DNA, being happy. He's a gamer, that dog. Going to be 14 next month, I believe. So another product I want to give you a review on is a pair of Bluetooth headphones I've been trying to kill. Yeah, trying really hard to kill these. I got these sent to me in June by a company called Jaybird Wireless. They are the X3. <laughs> X3. Sweatproof, secure fit. And I have not been able to kill them. You see, my superpower is sweat. Not just any sweat. Toxic, crisp sweat. And you folks are privy to the kind of workouts I do in the kind of weather that I do them, right? I mean, we all subscribe to the old uh, Bowerman quote, which is, there's no such thing as bad weather, only weak runners, right? So most headphones I've used that claim to be sweatproof are not crisp sweatproof. They last a couple of weeks, and I kill them. I have not been able to kill these. The closest I got was one long workout in July when I filled them with so much fluid they sounded like they were underwater, and I thought that was it, but they bounced back. They survived the sweat-filled days of July and August, they survived multiple of those as long runs, and they survived the occasional rainy tempest like the back half of Wapak, the trail race. And at this point, I'm willing to concede that these things are pretty tough. The only thing I managed to kill so far was the little blue light that comes on when you put them in the charging cradle. That doesn't come on anymore, but they still charge. So they, they come in this overly complex iPhone-type collector's box packaging. They have a tricky little USB charging cradle that takes a while to figure out. And they have a companion iPhone audio program 
that has dozens of audio profile adjustments and other tweaky millennial thingies which I have ignored. The default sound sounds fine to me. Uh, they're on a flat wire that you can loop around the back of your neck. They have multiple secure fit ear thingies, like, I don't know, maybe 12 different configurations they send you with the box. And they work okay, but I've been losing little earbuds. Like, they, they fall out and I lose them. They roll under a car or something. And I found them hit or miss on the secure fit side. I've had my best luck just jamming the earbuds deep into my ears and looping the wire over my right ear to support the microphone side of the wire, which is always heavier. The challenge with this deep jamming methodology is that they become totally noise-canceling, which isn't always a good thing when you're running in traffic. And they do come with those plastic wing thingies that are supposed to grip onto the inside curve of your ears, and they work, but I find them a little stiff, so they make my ears pretty sore after a while. And you're supposed to be able to make phone calls with them. I've tried that, and the people on the other end can't actually hear me. I'm probably doing something wrong, but uh, I don't really use them for that, so that's okay. The Bluetooth setup and the sync works great. Actually, too well. They sync to my phone, my computer, my car. Sometimes I have no idea what they're syncing to. You know, until I hear the sound coming out, I don't know. I don't know what I'm connected to. So, but I do love the hands-free, wire-free experience. And, and yeah, they are sweat-proof. You can put your iPhone in a plastic bag and stick it in your pocket or your backpack. And that's super convenient, and it's safer for the iPhone. And they claim an 8-hour battery life. I haven't taken them much beyond 4 or 5 hours, but they made it that far. The bottom line here is that I tried to kill these headphones and couldn't. <laughs> I'm going to keep trying. I do have some challenges keeping them in my ears, but I do appreciate them, and they have helped make some long runs much more enjoyable. Again, I don't make any money off it, but the links are in the show notes if you're interested. And that's it. I did have some lady offer me a mattress to test, and that's kind of interesting, huh? How exactly would I test it? Would I run on it? Or, well, that's a topic for an entirely different podcast. I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. So... Did you see the um, the new Steven Spielberg documentary on HBO? Yeah, it's a little bit self-serving, but uh, always like that Jaws theme, right? All right, let's podcast. Let us podcast. Ah, ah, ah.